Well, welcome uh, everybody this morning. Those of you who don't know me, I'm Louis Elgar. I'm the pastor of the Spanish ministry here. So I preach on this pulpit every Sunday in Spanish and uh, at two in the afternoon. The uh, Spanish congregation sends their love as they always do. And they always remind me that I need to be faithful to the Spanish text. So I will this morning. <laughs> And it's a blessing, really, to be here. We are currently marching through uh, the letter of 1 Corinthians in the Spanish ministry, and uh, we are finishing up chapter 7. And there's a, a portion of the scripture in chapter 7 that really touched my heart, and I think that it uh, also ministered to the congregation, and I wanted to share that with you folks today. Um, I'm going to read the text and then give a little, uh, a little uh, historical context, and then uh, we're going to get right into the, the, uh, the text. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 29 through 31. It says, this is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as if they had none. Those who mourn as if they were not mourning. Those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing. Those who buy as though they had no goods. And those who deal with this world as though they had no dealings with it. For the present form of this world is passing away. Father, as we come before you today, Lord, we ask that you would speak. Lord, that you would speak to our hearts, our minds, Lord, to our spirit, that we would, Lord, be able to understand, Lord, uh, this text, that we would be able to apply it, Lord, to our lives, uh, to our doctrine, to what we believe. And Father, we pray that you would help us in the power of your Holy Spirit, uh, that you would speak through this text. And that we, Lord, would receive it with all humbleness. And we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. So, a little context. 1 Corinthians, as uh, most of you already know, is a uh, letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church that's in Corinth. It's a church that uh, the Lord used Paul to plant the church at, during his second missionary journey. The letter... Uh, is Paul addressing problems and sin in the church. In the first six chapters, he addresses um, problems that come to his attention from various communications from the church. It talks about Chloe and his people and, and some other ways that they had communicated these problems to Paul. Uh, one of the major evident problems in the first six chapters is the trouble that the church had in divorcing themselves from their former lives and trying to introduce some of these things from their former lives into the church. And the, the problems, um, some of those problems were divisions in the church that were caused by them uh, following uh, human leaders, by them following human philosophies. Um, another problem was uh, their tolerating sin in the congregation and not confronting it. Another was they were taking each other to court. 
Uh, another was uh, immorality in the church. And um, these are some of the problems that the Apostle Paul dealt with in the first six chapters. But now that we come to chapter 7, in chapter 7 the Apostle begins, it changes because the Apostle begins in chapter 7 answering questions and addressing issues that the church, church uh, that he received from the church in a letter that they sent him. In uh, chapter 7, verse 1, it says, Now concerning the matters of which you wrote. So from chapter 1, uh, he begins to answer questions uh, with this letter to a letter that he received from the church. And he goes all the way to about chapter 15. Uh, he's answering this letter. So Paul is answering questions in chapter 7 regarding marriage. And really their marital status after being called. Since he is answering questions, we need to understand this. Since he is answering questions, this is not an exhaustive exposition of marriage or an exhaustive teaching of marriage. It's he's answering the questions that, were, that arose as they are being saved in the church. It's that the, the gospel was having a tremendous impact in the city of Corinth, impact in the lives of those that are being saved in the church, and they were struggling to adjust, adjust to this new life in Christ and, and the dynamic life, the dynamic changes that were happening in their lives. We need to understand that there was Jews being saved, there was Greeks being saved, there was Romans being saved. There, people from every walk of life were being saved in the church. Dynamic changes, dynamic things were happening in the city, in this church, and it was just dynamic times. During this time that the, that the folks were being saved, there are those that would say that now that you are a Christian, they needed to get married. You need to get married to fulfill God's plan to, to uh, be fruitful and multiply. That that is, the, that is the most spiritual state that they could be in. Okay? But others would say that to remain single or to be separate from being married was better because you could better serve the Lord if you were single. Especially if you were married to an unbeliever. If you're married to an unbeliever, so that you, that unbeliever would not defile you, defile your children. So Paul addresses all of these scenarios in verses 1 through 16. Then in chapter 17, I mean, sorry, in verse 17 through 24, he gives an interesting principle. As a matter of fact, he repeats this principle three times. In verse 17, he says... Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned, as the Lord had distributed to him, that, a Lord, that the Lord has assigned to him to which God has called him. He says, this is my rule for every church. This is my rule for, was anyone at the time already called circumcised? Let them not remove the marks of circumcision. Was anyone at the time called uncircumcised? Let him not seek to be circumcised. For neither circumcision counts or anything uh, uh, nor uncircumcision, but keeping the commandments of God. Repeats the principle. Each one should remain in the, in the condition which he was saved. 
So he's talking about you're saved as a Jew, you remain a Jew, you're saved as a Gentile, you remain a Gentile. The state that you are in, and this is a principle he's giving on marriage as well, that he discusses from verses 1 through 16. He's saying in that state, stay in that state. That was the, uh, the calling in verse 17. In verse 20, he says, remain in that condition that you were called. Verse 24, he says, after he goes on and talks about you're uh, a slave, a bondservant, when they are called, don't be concerned about it. Don't be concerned about it. He says, but if you can gain your freedom, might as well do that. For who was called in the Lord as a bondservant is a free man in the Lord. But then it says in verse 24, again, so brothers, whenever, whatever condition each was called, let him remain with God. Let him remain with God. So what he is saying is in, in these verses, and it's talking about salvation, because in verse, verses 17 through 24, he mentions being called seven times. And what he's saying, when you are, were saved, you, as you're being called, remain in that condition. So, so he's, he's saying, don't try to change your status when the Lord calls you to salvation. Just focus on keeping the commandments of God and being the best Christian you can be in whatever state that you are called. In the way that you are brought to salvation. Because that should not be your focus. Let God work. Let God work on the spiritual. Now in verse 25, he begins to speak to virgins. Or the unmarried. We can say the unmarried, those that are, uh, uh, some people say those are the ones that are divorced. Those are uh, um, widows. And he again repeats this principle. To stay as you are. To stay as you are. And um, he also states what he prefers. He prefers that they be single. And in verse, that's what he said in verse 7. In verse 7, he says, um, I wish that all were as myself am, but each has his own gift from God, one of one kind, one of the other. Paul's preference was that they remain single, as he was. And um, he says, but it requires a gift. Being single requires a gift. Being married requires a gift as well. And we all know, all of us who are married. <laughs> he says, but if they get married, they don't sin. He says, if they get married and do not follow my counsel... He says, they don't sin, okay? They don't sin. But if they get married, there will be trouble. He says in verse 27, you who are bound to a wife, do not seek to be free. You are free from a wife. Do not seek to seek a wife. It's stay in the state that you were in. But if you do marry, you haven't sinned. If you don't follow my counsel, you haven't sinned. Even if you have the gift, he says. And if a betrothed woman marries, if a virgin marries, she hasn't sinned. Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles. And I want to spare you of that. So he says, if you do get married, you're going to have trouble. 
Trouble, what kind of trouble? Trouble in the flesh. Carnal trouble, worldly trouble. And he writes from a pastor's heart, I want to spare you of that. So that's the context that brings us to our text now. In verse 29, he makes a change. He says, this is what I mean, brothers. So here Paul changes gears a bit. And he moves from talking about, talking to the single or to the unmarried, and he starts to talk to the church. He says, this is what I mean, brethren. This is what I mean, church. And here Paul wants to give a word to the, to the whole church about something in regard to their lives as believers. Their lives as believers and the context we're talking about the subject of marriage. He says, I want to talk to, I want you all in this discussion. And with all this talk and with all of this counsel about marriage, I want to share something that goes beyond that subject. I want to communicate a, a, something to the entire congregation, something that is beyond this subject of marriage that we're talking about. There's something more important with regard to the subject of marriage, and it has to do with the time in which we're living. Because he says in verse 29, this is what I mean, brothers, the appointed time has grown very short. The appointed time has grown very short. Paul now wants to, to the church to analyze something. He wants them to, to analyze their lives around the time that they are living. He wants them to have a perspective of, of their life, and he starts talking first to the marriage, of their life around this time in which they were living. Okay? Why? Verse 31 says, for the present form of this world is passing away. He says the present form or the present appearance or the way, the present way we see this world is what? It's passing away. In Spanish, that is, the, that is how it's interpreted. It says la apariencia, the appearance of the world. The way that we see it is passing away. So the framework around these verses that we're looking at, the apostle wants us to be thinking, is based on the concept of time and our eternal purpose in the time in which we live on this earth. Our eternal perspective. So in verse 1 he says, this is what I mean brothers, the appointed time has grown very short. The word time is the word kairos. Kairos is, talks, doesn't talk about the running clock or chronos. It's talking about a predetermined period of time. And it's usually so associated with an opportunity or the right time or the time given. So the kairos. He's talking about an appointed time. And he says that the appointed time has 
grown short, has grown very short, has been shortened. So if it's a predetermined time and it's now grown short, or the word has a meaning, the, 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 the shortened has a meaning of it's now compressed or it's now in full view. It's drawn together. It's not really length of time has been shortened because the length of time is set. But what he is saying is this time has, is now compressed, is in full view, is, is uh, it's this time given, we as believers understand it. It's in full view, okay? This time refers to the time that we live in. The specific predetermined period of time that has two precise limits in it, okay? And us as believers, we see this time in plain view, this given time. There's limits on this time for one side and limits on the other side, okay? The one side of the time that Paul is talking about here is the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. His birth, his life, his death, his resurrection, and the coming of the Holy Spirit. That's, that is on one side of this predetermined time. The other side is his coming again. So now we can understand, we see this time. It is in plain view for us as believers, for this church in Corinth. This church in Corinth lived in a set time that was put in motion by the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. We live in a time of salvation. They lived in a time of salvation. And this time for every believer is in full view. It's clearly visible to us who are saved. To those who are perishing, it's foolishness. But to us who are saved, it's power. The power of God and the wisdom of God. And so what Paul is saying here is that it is so visible that you church, as believers, should have no trouble understanding these times that we are living in and the future that is coming. So with this knowledge and with this view in plain sight, this should make a difference on how we view the world in the present time that we're living in as a church. Why? Because the form of this present world is passing away. It's passing away. Paul's not concerned with how much time is left, but with the perspective that this reality should give us as believers. That this reality in the world that we are living in now, that we understand that the time is predetermined, the time is short, the time is in full view, and it's the time of salvation is what we're talking about. We are in this time of salvation as was the church of Corinth. And we clearly see this is a time 
And when we clearly look at this time, it gives us a new perspective to the world around us. What Stephen read, he said we're not called to leave this world. That's what Jesus said in John 17. We're not called to leave this world. He sent us into this world to interact with the world. But we're to live completely free from the world's control. And to do that, we need to keep a what? Eternal perspective. So now that Paul's set up under this framework, the concept of time, Paul now gives us five illustrations. Five illustrations that show how God wants the church to live in this world. He shows us what is our eternal perspective. In, in verse, um, Paul's first illustration, he uses marriage. Since that is the subject at hand, he says in verse 29, this is what I mean, brothers, that the appointed time has grown very short. From now on, those who have wives lives as though they had none. Now, before you run out, this, it's, it, we need to be clear that Paul is not negating what he taught in Ephesians chapter 5. That the husband is to love their wives as Christ loved the church, he gave himself up for her, and sacrificed that the husband is to sanctify her by the washing of the water with the word, present her holy, that the husband is to cherish, uh, nourish and cherish, cherish his wife. As First Peter says, the husband is to uh, live with her in an understanding manner, uh, treating her with honor as the weaker vessel, uh, understanding that she is a co-heir of the grace of life. Vice versa, the wife is to submit to the husband as unto the Lord in everything. She's to love her uh, husband, love her children. She's to, 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 to keep her house. She's to do all these things. Paul's not negating what he says in, in chapter 7, verse 2, that each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband, that the husband should give to his wife the conjugal rights and, and likewise the wife to the husband. He's not negating any of that. Then what does he mean when he says, from now on, in this compressed time of salvation... The appointed time has grown short. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none. He's not saying that married people need to leave their spouses and become celibate. He's already covered that in the first, first verses of this chapter. Married couples should carry on their normal married life. So what is he saying? That those who are married, even though marriage is a special blessing, even though marriage is a special one flesh relationship, marriage, Peter calls it, is the grace of life. What he is saying, those who are married as if they are not, he wants to communicate that even though your marriage is, is so glorious, it's not the most, it's not 
your most important relationship in this world. It's not our most important relationship. Our most important relationship is that relationship we have with our Lord Jesus Christ. That is more important. Pleasing and serving our Lord is more important than pleasing our spouses. Don't run out. Pleasing Christ is the most important call for husbands and for wives. This is our eternal perspective. When it comes to marriage, this is our eternal perspective. Why? Because marriage is a part of this present form of the world that's passing away. And it, the time is short. We're in the time of salvation. 1 John 2.17 says that the world is passing away. Marriage is temporal. It's not eternal. Marriage, like the world, is passing away. We see that in Mark 12. In Mark 12, verse 25, when, when they asked Jesus about this woman, that in the resurrection, whose wife will she be? Jesus says, for when they rise from the dead, neither, uh, they neither marry or are given in marriage, but they are like angels. There's no marriage in heaven. There's no marriage in heaven. He says, in the resurrection state, in eternity, there will be no marital relationships. Marriage is of this world. Marriage is for this time. Marriage is a blessing. But in heaven, my wife and I will not be a one flesh relationship. We will not be married. Neither will any of you. Neither will any of you. Why? Because marriage is temporary. Marriage is of this world. This time of salvation that we are living in. Marriage will pass away. This is one of the reasons we need to, to be very careful when we're comforting somebody who lost a spouse. We had a, um, due to COVID, uh, Angel and Rita in our Spanish congregation, and Angel, the Lord brought him home, took him home. I heard folks saying to Rita, they're saying, oh, don't worry, you'll see Angel again. You guys will be together again in glory. You know, that's not necessarily true. I believe that they will know each other in heaven. I believe that we will know each other in heaven. But it's going to be a completely different existence. It will be a total change. And to tell Rita, you will be with Angel again in heaven is just, they're not going to be married. They're not going to be in a one, he's not going to be her husband. What Paul is saying is that our marriage should not be our idol, basically. It should not be an idol that we put before serving the Lord. Our spouse should not be 
an idol we put before serving Christ. In chapter 4, the Apostle Paul, he's talking about being a servant of the Lord. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 4. In verse 1, he says, this is how one should regard us. This is how the congregation should regard us. They're the leaders in the congregation. As servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. So he's saying, what he is saying is that they should regard us as servants of Christ. Why? Because as a slave, and that word is huperetes, uh, uh, it's an under rower in, in one of those trireme ships. It's uh, worse than a doulas, than a, uh, a doulas, a bondservant. But he's saying, what he's saying is they should uh, regard us as servants of Christ. Okay? Because the best way that I can serve God's people is if I serve Christ. And the same is true here. The best way that I can serve my wife is by serving Christ. The best way that my wife could be the best wife that she can be in this allotted time, in this time of salvation, is by serving our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul tells us in, in Colossians chapter 3 to, that we should love our wives and, and not be harsh with them. But in Colossians 3, 2, Paul says, set your minds on the things what? Above. And not on the things that, that are on the earth. Set your sights on the things of but, above and not on the things of the world. That's basically what he's saying here. We need to have an eternal perspective when it comes to marriage. Why? Because all of this discussion on marriage, and he, he was going back and forth saying, saying uh, if you're single, you have these options. If you're married, you have these options. If you're married to an unbeliever, you have these options. You know, and, and singles, I, I think you should, you should follow my counsel and not get married. If you have the gift, if you don't have the gift. No, he, and he's saying, wait, 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 wait. This is what I mean. We need to have an eternal perspective. But Paul's not talking here. Uh, uh, he, he isn't saying that we shouldn't enjoy marriage now. He's not saying that we are not to fulfill the obligations to our spouse. The word of God is very clear about that. But he's saying in this short time of salvation, we need to keep a proper perspective. Our eternal perspective and this perspective is what God wants from us even when we are married that our service to him that our relationship with him is the most important relationship that we have now Paul gives another illustration in verse 30, he says, and those who mourn as though they were not mourning. This is interesting. Here Paul is talking 
about how a believer should um, react to suffering, how a believer should react to trials, we could say. This is our eternal perspective when it comes to the trials in our lives. To weep, or, or some translations, or, or to mourn as though we, they did not weep. This is difficult for many people to, to, to accept when we're in a time of suffering. When we're in the midst of our trials, perhaps we, we lose a loved one, perhaps we lose a child, which is a very, very difficult trial. When this happens in the life of someone, and we as pastors try to counsel them in a way to help them along and tell them that they need to rise above the trials, that they need to look beyond the trials, we are called out as being what? Insensitive. Insensitive. No entiendes. Tú no estás pasando esto. You don't understand. You're not, you, you don't feel what I feel. And then they lose it. And let the suffering control them. Let the suffering dominate them. They become filled with pain instead of being filled with the Holy Spirit. But God calls us to have this eternal perspective. When you're mourning, it's as if you're not mourning. But in our flesh, in our fallen nature, we weep in our pain. And we are so absorbed in our suffering that we let our suffering incapacitate us to serve the Lord. And that shouldn't happen. Because we become self-centered. Wallow in our self-pity, thinking only of self and forgetting that you, who we're supposed to be looking to in our trials, who we're supposed to be loving through our trials and who we are supposed to be serving in our trials. Our lives become all about us, all about our sorrows, dominated and controlled by our sorrows instead of being dominated and controlled by the Holy Spirit. People who are consumed with their trials and consumed in their sorrows, controlled by them are people who do not have an eternal perspective. And Paul doesn't say we shouldn't weep. Romans 12, 15 says we weep with those who weep. We rejoice with those who rejoice. He's not saying you don't weep. What Paul is saying is, is just to not let our sorrow control us and render us useless in our service to Christ. Paul says that this time is shortened, that the world is passing, and we can see it. We as believers can see that this world is passing. We can see it as God sees it, that there is a future coming, and we need to view things from an eternal perspective, our eternal perspective. What is important? We're in the time of salvation. That's important. Yeah, we're saved. Gloria, Dios, hallelujah. My neighbors aren't. A lot of my family members aren't. 
So how should I view marriage? This is how. From an eternal perspective. How do I view my sorrows? This is how. From an eternal perspective. How do I view even my blessings? It says in verse 30, and those who rejoice as those as though they were not rejoicing. We are to weep with those who weep, rejoice with those who rejoice. Paul says it. And there are times in the world where we are happy, super happy. We have great joy. Nothing wrong with that. But again, like sorrow, we should not let our joy, our laughter control or dominate us. It should not control us to the point that what do we do? We try and find the things that made us so happy and try to duplicate those things. Try to duplicate those things to, to, to bring up this emotion of joy, this emotion of laughter. That man was so cool, let's do it again. That's what a lot of churches do. A lot of churches try to tug at your emotion, but now they have to duplicate that week after week after week. Paul's saying, yes, it's okay to weep. Yes, it's okay to rejoice. But don't let those emotions, which are of this passing world, don't let those emotions control you. Because you're not of this world. We have an eternal perspective. Those emotions are temporary, just like marriage is. In heaven, besides singing like Dave, God will wipe away every tear. We will be in eternal glory. These emotions on this earth are temporary. So those are three illustrations. Marriage, or mourning, and a rejoicing. Now there's a fourth one that's a little more difficult for us to swallow. He says, and those who buy as though they had no goods. Wow. He says, those who buy as though they had no goods. Or, or those who buy as though they possess nothing. As if you own nothing. From a human perspective, this is a difficult one. 1 John 2.15 says, do not love the world nor the things in this world. Paul here is saying we need to have a proper perspective when it comes to material possessions. They should not control us. He doesn't say you shouldn't buy. There's nothing wrong with buying. Okay, nothing wrong with buying because it's part of this world. It's part of this earth. We buy things every day. It's part of the world we're living in. Just like marriage, just like sorrow, just like rejoicing. It's all temporary, but it's all a part of this world. We continue to life, we continue to buy things in this world. There's nothing wrong with that, but, and we buy a lot. We buy a lot. When I was preparing for this message, I'd take a walk, 
every morning, and I walk, and I walk, and I'm going, why are all these cars? Why aren't they in the garages? Because they open the garage door, and guess what's in the garage? Full of stuff. I would ask for a show of hands. How many people here could fit all the cars that you own in your garage? We buy a lot. Possessions should not be our focus. They should not become our God, basically. The idea here is, is that a believer does not buy to possess. Buy to own. We don't buy to own stuff. We don't let the world dictate what we buy. That's what Paul is saying here. We don't let the world dictate the reason we buy things. We don't let the world dictate how we use our money. We buy as if we own nothing. We buy as if we are not buying, as if we have no goods, as if we do not possess anything, no matter how costly it is. You should not let your things become your idol. In that you put more value in your things than in the God that gave you those things. I've had to counsel many a person that doesn't have to work on Sunday, but they work on Sunday. Why? Because they want to buy more things. Our view should be that we don't possess them. But the effort we put in decorating our homes and buying the latest cars and in, in our bank accounts, more focus on that than in our spiritual life. That should not be. Why? All those things are passing away. Paul says we're living in this time of salvation. And when you look at that as compared to buying things, there's no comparison. The question is, what is our priority? Paul says it should not be our things. Why? Because they are part of the present form that is passing away. Do not love the things of this world so much that you forget who you are supposed to be serving. Do not let the things of this world control you. Do not let them become your idol. And it's so easy, so easy. Brothers and sisters, the world is passing away. We're not of this world. And that is this perspective that we should have regarding our marriage, regarding our sorrows, regarding our, our, our rejoicing, and regarding our possessions. An eternal perspective. And Paul gives a fifth illustration, kind of a summary. And those who deal with this world as though they had no 
dealings with it. So now he's wrapping it all up. We're saying eternal perspective of marriage, eternal perspective of sorrow, eternal perspective of rejoicing, eternal perspective of our things. How about an eternal perspective on our jobs? An eternal perspective on the conflict I have with my neighbor? An eternal perspective with, I man, that brother, that sister, she's so annoying. Eternal perspective on everything that is passing on this earth. That's what he says. We have dealings in this world, in this earth. I like the New American Standard translation of this. It says, those who use this world as though they did not make full use of it. Basically, those who use this world, we all use this world because we're all in this world, but use this world, but not abuse it. Not make full use, not make it our God is basically what it says. We are in the world, we use the world, and that's okay, but don't be engulfed in the world. Don't let it dominate you. Because today, the earth is dominating many who call themselves Christian. Why? Why should we not let this world dominate us? Because this world is, the form of this world is passing away. Its form, its appearance, what we see on a day-to-day basis, our experiences on a day-to-day basis, though it's not evil, is passing away. Understand that. And we are called to be salt and light. We were given the Holy Spirit of God, and with that Holy Spirit of God, we receive power, and we are witnesses to the ends of the earth. That's our eternal perspective. Are you a witness of Christ? Or when you speak about Christ, they don't even believe you. They don't believe your witness. We can enjoy our marriage. I enjoy my marriage. I love my wife. I love my kids. We can mourn. There's nothing wrong with mourning, weeping with those who weep. We can rejoice. We can buy things. We experience all of these things in this world earth and it's okay we can use the world and there's many examples not just these five four illustrations that Paul gave but we are not engulfed because these things are temporary our all of our relationships are temporary all of our emotions are temporary All of our possessions are passing away. The Bible says in many texts that you're not going to take it with you. Our eternal perspective. Why? Why? Jesus Christ. Our Lord, our life.
his death, his resurrection, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. The gospel has already determined the course of everything. In all that we do, all that we are in this world, is for his glory. He says that if we're not ready to give up everything, what? We're not worthy to be called his disciples. That's heavy. That's heavy. The Apostle Paul says, for me to live, what? Is Christ, is is not in the original text. For me to live, Christ. We treasure Christ above everything else. We delight in his fellowship more than anything else. Why? Because everything else is passing away. That's what Paul wanted to communicate to the church here. Our eternal perspective. Father, we thank you, Lord, for these things that Paul wrote to the church because of the love that he has for this church. We thank you, Lord, that you have brought us these words as well. We pray that we can have this perspective, Lord, in our lives. We know that this present world is passing away. We know that there is a predetermined time, Lord. We know that today is a day of salvation. But today, Lord, we pray and I pray that, Lord, I can have that perspective. Because I know there's a lot of times in my life that I let things control me. Things that should not. But Father, I know by the power of your Holy Spirit that abides in me that I do not have to be a slave to sin. That I do not have to obey it in its lusts. But I can be a slave of righteousness. Father, I pray for your church today, your church universal, that, Lord, that we can understand our eternal perspective, that we can have that in the way that we view things on this earth. The Apostle Paul said, as from the time that he became a new creation, he did not look at people the same. He did not even view Christ in the same manner in the flesh. He had a new perspective. And that perspective had to do with salvation. Help us, Lord, to, uh, to view the folks around us in that way. And Lord, when we can, help us to preach your word with power. In season and out of season. Because that's what truly counts in this allotted time that you have given us. We thank you that we can get together and worship you. And we pray today, Lord, that our worship was acceptable to you.
We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.